Father God, it is our prayer that you would, you would be known in this place. That you would be uh, glorified, that you would be lifted up uh, by the words that we have, uh, we have raised to you, about you, uh, the reminders of who you are, and that you would reveal yourself and remind us uh, of who you are, that you would flood this room with your presence. And, and God, that we do come seeking a, a revelation from you. So may we fully expect this morning to, to be changed and to be moved by your spirit and to be convicted by, by your word. And, and I pray that, that just now that you would, you would empty me of myself so that you can be loudest in these next few moments. We thank you for your word given to us. And may we drink it in together now as your church. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You guys can go ahead and take a seat. Um, take a rest. Thanksgiving break wears us out a little, doesn't it? Everybody get enough to eat. Did anyone not get enough to eat? No one should raise their hand. Thanksgiving's a great time. We were able to spend some time with our family. And uh, these last couple weeks... Um, have been a little stressful in, in preparing for this morning. I've known for quite some time that I would be preaching today, um, but that doesn't mean that I prepared a long time ago. It means that I, I waited till the last minute like I usually do. Um, but uh, it's been kind of stressful, kind of sporadic preparation, um, kind of stressful, um, kind of uh, mind-wrenching, kind of stressful. Um, <laughs> Because God landed me on a text a long time ago, um, and I really wanted him to change it. It's something that jumped out to me in my journaling one day, and, and as I read it, I wanted it to say something different than what it does. Isn't that the way that sometimes it always goes? But, but he spoke louder through the text that he had me land on. Um, so that's where we're going to be this morning. And don't, don't judge this message by its title, The Foolishness of Preaching. I am not stating that Jerry is foolish, okay? He is very necessary. Um, okay, now I got that out of the way. Is that what you wanted me to say? Is that, is that right? Okay. Um, but we're, we're going to talk about a text where, where Paul kind of refers to, to the foolishness of preaching, the foolishness of the message of the cross, and we're going to look at what that means. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, your wireless device, your you're whatever you've got that your Bible's on. Hopefully you have that with you. Open it up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we're going to be. We're going to start in verse 18 here in just a few minutes. But if you do a little bit of back reading, you'll see that Paul is writing this letter to the church to, to really remind them of the importance of unity in the church. They had been elevating some teachers higher than others. Some people liked Apollo. Some people liked Cephas. And they were trying to they're, they're kind of quarreling within themselves of who they liked the most and kind of elevating the teaching style more than the message that was being taught. So the church was becoming divided by whose teaching they, they would rather hear. And that sounds like a dangerous place to be, but it may also sound like a pretty familiar place to some people. Paul is reminding the church of their faith in Christ, that he died for them, that they were baptized in Christ and Paul doesn't come to preach, he says, uh, he doesn't come with, with eloquent words or to be a great orator or to make much of himself lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And then he goes on to, to talk about this, this foolishness of preaching and where the power of the message 
is the loudest. So to me, as, as it relates to our culture, the foolishness of preaching is sometimes that we dress it up more than it needs to be dressed up, that we sprinkle it with a little more seasoning than it needs, a little humor here and there. We, we, we put too much into it. We try to maybe overthink, and maybe that was a lot of my problem in getting this message together. We try to overthink the message of the cross when we should just preach Jesus and move on. Preach Jesus, plain and simple, as Paul states in this message. One commentator says that Paul preached a crucified Jesus in plain language and told the people that Jesus, who was crucified, was the Son of God and Savior of men, and that all who would be saved must repent of their sins and believe in him and submit to his government and laws. This truth needed no artificial dress. It shone out with the greatest majesty in its own light. So we're going to pick up in verse 18 of the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, where he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So the first thing that I want to kind of unpack together this morning and focus on is is this message. What is this message of the cross that to some people is foolishness, but yet to others is the power of God? The same message, why do some people accept it? Why do some people reject it? Paul states that that preaching of a crucified Christ, this plain preaching of Jesus crucified, has different effects on different people. People are going to respond differently to it, and I think that we can all probably think of individuals or instances where the presentation of the gospel has not been accepted warmly. It's, it's, it's a sad place to, to, to see and, and to put yourself in or in a situation to be in where maybe your friends, your co-workers, uh, at school, maybe even your family is, is one of those places where this message of the cross, where, where the gospel is, is just met with anger or frustration 
just turns people downright nasty. I don't, I, I don't know what it is. There's just something about what we believe as Christians that tends to, to make people angry sometimes. It disgusts them that we would have the theology that we do and we would hold Jesus to such a high place in our lives. Yet there's, no, there's another demographic that, that Paul points out that uh, the cross is the power of God. The cross is, is the promise of life. It can change, it can heal, it restores, it renews, it gives life, it gives purpose, it fills with complete joy. It's the power of God for those who are being saved. For those who believe the cross is the right answer, but too much of the world, sadly, it's not the answer that they are looking for. If I were to ask you today what the message of the cross was, and this is where you can respond back to me, shout out one word, the message of the cross in one word, what would that be to you? What is the message of the cross? Grace. Redemption, forgiveness. Victory. Eternity. All of those answers fall under this umbrella of the thing that we call the gospel. But the gospel is, is about much more than what happened at the cross. It goes much, much further than that and starts a long time before then. It started in the garden and was carried out through, through generations, through prophets that God chose to work through and to speak through. It was carried out through Christ and his work on the cross, his victory over sin and death. And we now, as we sit here, we are part of the gospel message. The gospel is God's Story of calling his people back to himself throughout generations from the garden until Christ returns. That's the gospel. And we are, we are living this out even today. Paul says that this message seems foolish to many people because they expected something different from the Messiah. They wanted something different. The Jewish population uh, demanded miracles. They wanted signs. And they had that. They had the healings. They had the raising of the dead. Feeding of thousands of people with just a few table scraps. They had all of this. And because of these things, they followed Jesus. They hung on his every word. They listened to his teachings. Thousands of people. Until he was crucified. And as long as Jesus did what they wanted him to, they were willing to, to follow him and to listen to him. But once he was arrested, condemned, and crucified, they, they wanted nothing to do with him. The cross was not the answer that they were looking for. And lots of people reject Jesus for that very reason. They don't get the answer that they are looking for. Their prayer is not answered the way that they wanted to, it to be answered. God didn't provide for them in the way that they thought that he should provide for them. He's not moving and, and blessing them in their lives the way that they feel he should. As long, God, as long as God does what we want him to do, we're willing to follow him. We're willing to, to pursue him. We want God to protect us from, from difficulties and from hardships. But the, the cross defies that notion. and It says sometimes life is unfair. Sometimes, sometimes it is, it's nasty. There's death, there's suffering, there's pain, there's loss. It speaks of a world where, where sometimes we're, we are called to endure hardships, to experience difficulty. The cross says that life won't always turn out the way that you want it to, but it will always turn out the way that God wants it to. Always. 
Paul also mentions that we look for the message of the cross to, to make sense to us intellectually. We want to understand it by, by means of our own understanding and our own human wisdom. The Greeks lived this way. They were into the, the philosophic age. They had the philosophers and the sages and pe- people who were, were, were into to what they knew and what they could make sense of. But when it came to God, they couldn't explain it. They couldn't fit him in the box they, they had created for him to, to, to be put in. God refuses to be small enough for us to understand. He refuses to, to fit in a neat little box that we have made for him. He's not easily understood. He, he thinks and acts differently than, than we do. We will never understand God within the scope of our knowledge and our understanding. But we must pursue him. We will never fully understand him, but we must pursue him. We must follow after him. That's what we call theology, the study of God and who he is and what he wants of us, things he wants to give to us. It gives us foundation, gives us security, gives us understanding, and helps us to form our way of life. Ben Merrill may be a familiar name to, to many people. He is the godfather of the Christian church. Um, and he says this about theology. When it comes to theology, he says that uh, theology or doctrine, he, he views it as a skeleton. A human skeleton, which may be a scary thing. It may be a scary thing, but we need to learn it. We, need, we should not avoid it. He says the solution is to do a better job of teaching doctrine in a clear and relevant way. To understand it, to know it. Remember, while a skeleton without flesh is a scary thing, a body without a skeleton is flabby and useless. Theology gives us something to stand on to, to know God. Our purpose is found in what we know about God and what we learn from him as we seek him out every day of our lives. And the Greeks could not accept this. They could not accept it because they, they were used to a different kind of God, not a God who would make himself nothing, be found in human likeness as a man, make himself a servant, and become obedient to death on a cross. They didn't get that because they were used to gods who dominated over them, demanded things from them. They could accept that kind of behavior, and they could live according to that kind of God, but they could not understand a God who would sacrifice himself for his people. They couldn't understand that. The cross declared a glory that they could not understand within the scope of their own understanding and their own wisdom. We serve a God that's bigger than our imaginations. We can't explain God fully because we don't fully know him, but like I said, we should pursue him. We should also help people down this path of pursuing God, helping them take steps closer to knowing Jesus Christ, to being in a right relationship with him. We will never know all the answers that they may ask, but we can always point them to the place to find the answers. We can always take that journey with them. But sometimes the best evidence I have found is pointing to my own life or pointing to your own life and showing how God has worked and he has moved and he has shaped you as you have been in relationship with him. Sharing your life helps others to move closer to Christ. The God that we, that we worship, our God did step down out of heaven. 
He did take our place on a cross. He loved us so much that he gave his son. And while that may be hard for some to understand, we, we know that, that is, there's power there. There's power to that, that we live by. Paul says that, um, verse 25 uh, of, of 1 Corinthians, he says this, he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God is not supposed to meet our standards. God does not meet our standards. We are called to rise to his standards. Even though it doesn't make sense to us, it's, it's what we were created to do. It's what we've been commissioned for as followers of Christ. We are the messengers. We are the messengers of this message of the cross. And you may think, well, that's a little scary. That's a big responsibility. I don't know if I am qualified. That's one of my favorite words when we talk about this. I don't know if I'm qualified to do that, to carry this message, to to be a mouthpiece. So Paul continues and he encourages the readers in their calling. He says, consider what you've been commissioned for. I love it whenever he says, you are not wise by human standards. You're not very intelligent. But understand this. He says, take the message. Take this message of the cross. Communicate it the best way that you can. And remember whose message you carry, he says. The message of Jesus. Now you may be sitting here and since we've kind of gotten to this evangelism realm, you have totally checked out. Because you are not an evangelist, you are not a professional Christian, you are not paid to, to do what professional Christians do on a stage. But it is your responsibility to carry, to carry the message. Evangelism is just a fancy word for discipleship. Just a fancy word for, for growing up in God, and as you grow up in God, you take others with you. And you may say, well, I, I don't want that responsibility. I wasn't built for evangelism, but you were. And you may say, well, my life, I have done, you would not believe. You would not believe some of the things that I've done. Who, who would put me as a credible person to share the message after some of the things that I have done? Well, let's look at some of the people that God has worked through in Scripture. Y'all know Moses, right? Great faith, and he, he had some great faith, but he was a murderer. David, do we even need to, do we need to talk about David at all? An adulterer who plotted a murder. Rahab was a prostitute, yet God used her. Jacob lied and cheated. Samson was a hot-headed philanderer. God made a difference through them. And since we're officially now, as the radio tells us when we turn it on, in the Christmas season, because it's, you know, we're after Thanksgiving now, so now all we hear is Christmas music. What about those shepherds? Those that were chosen to first hear of the birth of Christ and to go and to worship him and to tell others about him, probably considered foolish by worldly standards, but yet chosen to worship the newborn Christ. What about the people that that Jesus called to follow him? Tax collectors, rotten tax collectors, stinky fishermen, probably not not who was expected to be a disciple by by the world, but, but yet God chose them and he says, through you, 
Through you, I will change the world. Through you, I will establish my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. One of my favorite reminders of, of who God chooses to do at his work and who he chooses to work through is found in the, in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. This instance falls on the heels of when uh, Peter and John have, have preached at the day of Pentecost and they've healed a lame beggar and they're called before the, uh, the Sadducees and, and the religious leaders of the day because they want to know on, on whose authority do you do these things. And they remind them of who Jesus was, what Jesus did, and then they say, by the way, that's the Jesus that you crucified, but it's in his name that we preach, that many are called and receive salvation, and that we heal, and that's one of the, I call it a coffee cup verse, Acts 4.12 says, salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It's the verse after that that I really like a whole lot. Because it talks about the, the conversation and, and the, the mood that surrounds us as they point to Christ, the religious leaders, it, say, it says this about them in Acts 4.13. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Common, ordinary men who spent time with Jesus who learned more about their Savior. The common man who spends time with Jesus has the power to change the world. The common woman who gives up her desires for life for the purpose and the will of God is a planet shaker, a world changer. The church was formed and was established through common and and ordinary people who spent time getting to know Jesus. And that work continues now through common and ordinary people who spend time with their Savior. And we may feel as though we're foolish uh, by worldly standards, but when God sees us, he sees power in us. The book of Romans tells us that the very power that is at work within us who are saved is the same power that rose Jesus from the grave. That's, that's something to, to really to get excited about. He gives us strength and wisdom to be difference makers with the very same power that raised Jesus from the grave. Be yourself and let God's power work in you. How many of you are fans of The Voice? It's okay to raise your hand. We won't tell anyone. A couple weeks ago, there was a young man, he's, I guess he's still on there, um, by the name of Jordan Smith. And Jordan uh, took the stage, told a little story before he comes out, but he, he sang a song of his choosing, Was Great Is Thy Faithfulness. And this performance just happened to take place the day after the terrorist attacks in Paris. Couldn't have been more timely. And he, he took to the piano with just him, and he directed to the world to where they needed to place their hope where they needed to look to for for strength and restoration. And he gave a beautiful assurance of God uh, when he stated this in an interview. He He said, God provides. He, being God, says, I'm going to do everything for you. All you have to do is wake up every morning and be who you are. 
All you have to do is wake up every morning and be who you are. We are the messengers of the cross, and we need only to wake up every morning and be who we are. Be who God created us to be. Ordinary people used in extraordinary ways by the creator of the universe. So don't try to tell me you're not qualified, because everyone is qualified to do what God has asked. Don't give me a list of excuses as to why you won't, but instead let's start thinking of why we should, why we must. The reason that we do things, they, they say that that's, that's the motive. What's your motive behind what you do? So lastly, let's just talk about that just for, just for a second. The last two verses uh, of this text talk about that whenever he, he points to Christ and he says, if you're going to boast, boast about God. Boast in the Lord. Let the man who boasts boast about God. So that, that's our motive for carrying the message of the cross. The, the paraphrase, the message paraphrase, actually states that, that everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. So we're going to unpack those three things as our motive for sharing this message. Righteousness which we all know is what? I didn't hear you. Right living. Righteousness is right living. We all know what that means around here. It's an attribute which stems from a, from a covenantal relationship with God. God is righteous. He expects righteousness from his creation, but righteousness is not something that we can attain on our own and is only available through Jesus Christ. It's a gift from God, and there is no righteousness apart from Jesus. Paul defines uh, hope as the eager anticipation of righteousness. It's an ex- righteousness is an expression of hope, and what better motive to have than hope of Jesus, the hope of Jesus in us. Holiness is the, is the other thing that, that's mentioned there in verse 30. And, uh, in my English Standard Version, it uses a big Christianese word called sanctification. And I could explain that to you, but I'm going to let Oswald Chambers explain that to you because he does a much better job of doing that in his book, My Utmost for His Highest. He says that the mystery of sanctification is that the perfections of Jesus Christ are imparted on me. Sanctification does not mean anything less than the holiness of Jesus being made mine manifestly. Our motive in sharing the message is that we are being conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. Oswald states that all of the, right, all of the perfections of Jesus are at my disposal. And slowly, but surely... I will begin to live a life of ineffable order and sanity and holiness. Our motive in sharing this message as the messengers of the cross is that we are being made to be in the very image of Christ. We're being made to be like him. He's imparting himself onto us. Redemption is the last thing. That's our motive for sharing. To be redeemed, the process by which sinful humans are bought back from the bondage of sin into relationship with God through grace by the payment of Jesus' death. What better motive 
do we need than that? To be delivered from sin into a relationship with God. The message of the cross is this. Being brought back to God. Part of that gospel that we talked about. Being made to be more like Jesus and being found because of that as righteous in God's sight. Because of what Christ has done. That is what he has provided for us. That is our motivating force behind this foolish thing that the world thinks that we do called preaching. Because it is the power of God that is saving us and is working in us. Our motive in preaching and evangelism and discipleship and whatever you want to call it is that we make the most of Jesus. That we point people to him so that he is made known more than anything else that we talk about, more than anything else that we say, that Jesus is talked about the most. Paul concludes with a very direct statement. He says, if you want to boast, if you want to make much of something, if you want to be loud about something, be loud, make much of, and talk about Jesus Christ. The hope that is in him. The newness that he has created, the promise to conform us into his very image, his love, his grace, his mercy. And right now, we're going to celebrate as we do every time we're together in this message, what it means for us. And we're going to be given a chance to, to respond. Nothing that we do, not one thing that we do on Sunday morning is more important than what we are going to do right now. It is the pinnacle of our worship. Remembering and celebrating in Jesus Christ. This is what we boast about. This is the power of God to change lives. This is what we come to remember. We do this each week because we believe in its power. We believe in the power of Christ and what Christ has accomplished through it. As he met with his disciples to share a meal, he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you, take and eat. And in the same way, he took a cup and he said, this cup is the, the new covenant in my blood. Take it and drink. It was, it, was, it was given for you, it was poured out for you. Wasn't spilled, wasn't splattered, wasn't an accident. I poured it out. I emptied myself for you. These things that we are asked to do in remembrance are things that we want to celebrate in. These are our motive. This, this is why we come together as the church. So just now, we're going to celebrate in the message of the cross. Taking seriously that we are the ones called to carry that message because of all that Jesus has done for us and all that he promises. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for the promise and hope that we find only in you. Because of how you love us, my prayer is that our response would, would be to, to offer and surrender ourselves wholly to you. 
So just now we come to remember and celebrate in the message of the cross. A message that is foolishness to some, but to us is your power. So we come to thank you for your love and celebrate in what you have done for us through your son. It's in his name that we come and we remember, we give thanks. Amen.